Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Welcome to a special crossover edition of Locked On Bucks and Locked On Heat. I am the host of Locked On Bucks, Kane Pittman, and I am joined in what feels eerily similar to where we were actually less than a year ago, the host of Locked On Heat, David Rommel. David, uh, here we are again. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I always felt like I was kind of heading this way, right? I, I think a lot of Heat fans... We're hoping to avoid Milwaukee just because of so many different factors. It's a different team on both sides of the ball, obviously, but Milwaukee looking very strong this year. So I think from the Heat fan perspective, uh, not looking forward to the matchup as much as you might think, but it is an exciting matchup. So I'm glad to be able to reconnect with you and, and talk about what should be an exciting series. All right. Before we dive into this, I will remind everyone today's episode is brought to you by Locker Room. Download the app and join uh, both myself and David. I'm sure we've been doing Locker Room uh, podcasts to get in on the action, Locker Room changing the way we talk about sports. I think that was actually a really fascinating way to start this. I, I didn't actually think about that before we started recording here, but let's go back to the game last weekend. Clearly, it was a talking point, certainly on this show and among Bucks fans, the fact that they could have ducked the heat if they wanted to. They didn't. They went full steam ahead. Uh, obviously, there was no Jimmy Butler for Miami, but that really set the scene for this series to play out. And one of the things that I was saying the whole time was the fact that, let's be real about this, Miami, if they have the choice of playing Atlanta, New York, or Milwaukee, and then also potentially avoiding Brooklyn in the second round, they don't want this 3-6 matchup either. But it was fascinating to hear you say that. How, have, how did you guys sort of work through that scenario? Well, I mean, it was kind of unexpected for them to bench Jimmy. I, I don't think yeah. we had seen anything in the prior game that he was going to be out, and there was no indication that he was suffering or anything like that. So clearly they were trying to give him rest. I guess this feels like somewhat of a machination on Eric Spolstra's part to sit him out now, given that he hasn't played in any of the three regular season matchups against Milwaukee. I mean, I know the first two weren't exactly by design, but this third one certainly feels that way. So, yeah, I, I think from the Heat fan perspective, they would have preferred to take on the Knicks just because they've beaten them pretty roundly and during in, during the regular season. Uh, it's been a pretty easy – I think they swept the series. So, um, given their offense and everything else, I think they, they felt like they could have dominated that matchup. Atlanta being somewhat young and unproven, feels like that would have been, again, an easier matchup for the Heat. And now they have to go on and said facing Milwaukee. Let's not even look ahead to yeah, right, the Brooklyn right. Nets. Sure, <laughs> like they would have wanted to avoid that. But – I guess, you know, just the revenge factor is something they probably would have avoided. Even if I had ranked, and I did rank before the actual matchup was set, if I looked at the three top competitors in the Eastern Conference, Brooklyn, Philadelphia, and Milwaukee, I would have ranked Milwaukee as the, the least favorable of those opponents just because of the way they play, the, the revenge factor, and so many other different things that we'll, I'm sure, talk about throughout the show. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I want to throw some Miami stuff at you first because we've been discussing this, but of course, you know, every time we get the opportunity to actually talk to someone who covers the team day to day, perhaps you find out that uh, your theories or thoughts are completely way off. So this Miami team this year, the first thing I, I want to ask, we, we've certainly seen 
momentum build towards the back end of the regular season. And, you know, we mentioned to each other before we started recording here, I'm in much the same boat as you where regular season results this year, it's been easily the most difficult to find legitimate takeaways from these games. There's been certain matchups where you play a, a contender and you think, okay, this is meaningful. For the most part, it hasn't felt that way. But for Miami picking up momentum towards the back end of the season, the question I have is when I look at the numbers and I look at the way they've played, you think, okay, here we go. Miami's ramping up again. The thing that stands out to me is the defense. Uh, over the, I, I believe this was since April 1st, so the last sort of five, six weeks of the regular season there. Uh, ranked 24th in defense, which... It is very strange to me. And again, admittedly, I haven't watched Miami as close as you have. But what are you seeing from this team with their um, sort of ramping up, I guess it feels like. But it hasn't exactly been in the way you would assume if you weren't watching this team closely. Right. They've been slowly getting better on the offensive end. And I think a big part of that is also changes to the starting lineup. They reinserted Kendrick Nunn, and he's kind of thrived there over the last month or so of the season. And I feel like... He's been providing a big scoring punch, but conversely, he's not great defensively. Uh, They lost Victor Oladipo for the season, so that was going to be, you know, that was going to deal a significant blow to whatever defense you might be able to. They were slowly trending positively in the defensive. I mean, they've been top 10 all season, but they were getting better and better with Oladipo in the lineup. Of course, he only winds up playing four games, so it doesn't really matter as much. But then once he's out, you have to kind of live and die by Kendrick Nunn. He's kind of struggled through it. He's had some good games, but we've seen slow incremental growth from Duncan Robinson. But overall, the defense just hasn't been very consistent. So it's been hard to kind of say whether or not they'll just be able to take it up a notch. You know, they've got Trevor Ariza playing significant minutes now after a midseason acquisition. Dwayne Dedman is contributing after you know spending most of the last year out of the NBA. So, so much has been so strange for Miami this season because of health and safety protocols, because of injuries, because of midseason trades. It's just been very strange. And I think it's just been hard for them to kind of develop any sort of consistent identity. But you kind of feel like it's the start of something, at least over the last couple of months of the regular season where they've been trending in the right direction and, again, scoring at a pretty high level. So that's unusual for this Heat team, but certainly uh, what we've seen from them. So I I don't know what version of the team we're going to see when the playoffs start in Saturday. It could be where they could just kind of reconnect with their defensive roots or maybe it'll be more of a focus on offense or just kind of a blend of both. And certainly Jimmy's presence and the fact that he'll probably be playing at a much higher level and with a higher usage than he did during the regular season will – definitely change things on Miami side. The easy path to go down when trying to look ahead to this series, and everyone's doing it, is look back at that uh, second round series last year. And it is so fascinating to look at the numbers. I've got the the series stats up in front of me here for Miami. When you look at the, the three guys that did the bulk of the damage, obviously Jimmy Butler was fantastic. Dragic played out of this world. And then Bam Adebayo, we, we know. And so I think at the end of the season last year, the the outside perspective on Miami is, well, they're just going to continue to get better with the growth of Bam, Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, these players there. But you named two guys there. And I, I said Duncan Robinson is my X factor for this series because he was really a non-factor in, in the second right. round against the Bucks last year. And the other guy that you mentioned that I haven't brought up on the show is Kendrick Nunn, who has been starting. He barely played. So... I, I think that it's easy to look at the the guys that have been lost. And Jay Crowder, I think, was significant in that series, not just offensively, but his physicality. You place him with, with Trevor Ariza. But how do you look at, from an overall perspective, and this is a pretty difficult question to answer, admittedly, this version of the Miami Heat compared to last year when it strictly comes to defending the Bucs? And when I say defending the Bucs, we know largely we mean defending Giannis. 
Well, I mean, that that's going to be a, an impossible question, I think, really. I mean, yeah. look, I, I feel like we'll probably start off seeing a lot of Ariza early on on Giannis, but I, I think we've seen an evolution in Giannis's game and the way Mike Budenholzer has been implementing him. So that'll change the way Miami does things. They've been switching a lot more easily. Um, you, you know, they'll, they'll figure something out because you trust that Eric Spolster will always be able to try and do something there, but they'll also try and hide guys like Duncan, uh, you know, Goran Dragic when he's out there, Tyler Hero, Kendrick Nunn, all of them are subpar defenders. And so they'll, they'll be exploited at different times. Tyler Hero in particular, we've seen even from re- him in recent weeks, that teams have been targeting him and trying to go at him because as good as he is offensively, he's just been, it's been difficult for him to try and stay in front of anybody defensively. So that's going to be an issue there. I, I just, I know they'll probably mix different, you know, coverages there. They'll probably go zone at times. Obviously they'll go man to man and we'll see whether or not they'll be able to kind of throw Milwaukee for a loop there. Uh, that's going to be the challenge there because I, I think the starting line that we've seen from them over the last couple of weeks is probably what they'll in, in, you know, incorporate moving forward. Like there won't be any kind of sudden switch of Jay Crowder in the starting lineup. Trevor Reese has already been there, so he's not going to get replaced by, say, a Deadman or anybody else. You're not going to insert Goran Dragic into the starting lineup as good as he was last year because I don't know that you can count on him to be as productive this season. And so you're going to roll out with what you've got right now, and that's none, that's Duncan, and that's Ariza, and Jimmy Butler, and Bam Adebayo. So from that point forward, I, you know, I'm not sure if there's a clear answer as to how they're going to be able to challenge Milwaukee, but I, I think we're going to see you know, some of what we've seen from them over the last few weeks of the season. All right, David, let's talk about our friends over at Theragun, our sponsor of the podcast today. Don't let the stress of daily life weigh on your body, whether you're an elite athlete or someone like me, just trying to make it through the day tension-free. Theragun can help. Theragun is the handled percussive therapy device that releases your deepest muscle tension using a scientifically calibrated combo of depth, speed, and power. It's as quiet as an electric toothbrush, if you can believe that. The Gen 4 Theragun doesn't just feel good, it gets to the source of the pain by releasing tension using Theragun's signature percussive therapy, which goes 60% deeper than vibration alone. Whether you want to treat muscle tension from working out an injury or just the stresses of everyday life, there's no substitute for the Theragun Gen 4. Try Theragun for 30 days starting at only $190. Go to theragun.com slash locked on right now and get your Gen 4 Theragun today. That's theragun.com slash locked on. Theragun.com slash locked on. So I listened to your chat with uh, Nick uh, for the the five things for Miami Heat and and we did one for the five things for the Milwaukee Bucks and I put it on the Locked On Bucks feed um, yesterday. But I was just wondering about Goran Dragic because I was fascinated to hear um, you sort of briefly speak about him and you just again mentioned there, you're not sure whether you can trust him to play to that level and clearly he was out of this world against the Bucks last year. But what is it with Goran Dragic? Is it, is it just age that's catching up to him? What What exactly have you been seeing with him throughout the season? Well, he was recovering from that injury, too, that he suffered yeah. in the Eastern Conference Finals. And so from that point forward, you know, obviously age is always going to play a factor at, at any stage right now for, for Goran. You know, his offense hasn't been very consistent. We've seen him kind of rounding into form as the regular season ends. Again, another big part of why Miami's offense has been so good. But defensively, I mean, he was never really all that stout. He'll try. He's an earnest defender in that sense. Like, he'll, he'll you know, he could challenge a few guys. I know uh, last year he was able to kind of hang with Eric Bledsoe, but Bledsoe wasn't exactly the scoring threat that Drew Holiday is. So that's uh, a, not a matchup that's ideal for Miami. 
uh, with with Goran, like he's a gamer. I, I think everybody in that locker room trusts him. Eric Spolstra implicitly trusts that Goran's going to find a way to step up his game. But I just I don't know how reliable it is because there's always the the possibility of him succumbing to injury again or just not being as much of a factor. And what we've seen over the last few weeks gives Heat fans hope, but we've only seen it for the last few weeks. Is it sustainable? Is he going to be taken out there? Can he be limited defensively by a DiVincenzo or somebody else who might be guarding him? Uh, you know, I, that's, that's going to be a huge question for Miami. He is my X factor actually, because hmm. there's so much unknown there. Like Duncan, if he goes off, certainly he makes things easier for Miami on the other end, but I, I feel like Goron having a big game, particularly if he's coming off the bench, is a huge factor for Miami because those minutes when either Jimmy or Bam are under the floor and you're kind of entrusting Goron to lead the way, uh, I, I think that's where the game will be won. And, and I've had this conversation recently. What is it about you know, Milwaukee's reserve defenders? I don't know who the reserve backcourt is. Would it be Bryn Forbes? Is he coming off the bench? I mean, I know he's getting a, a few of the minutes there, but who would be the guy that you see being locked on to Goron as far as the second unit is concerned? Yeah, it's really fascinating. This is this is the interesting part of the series for mine because you mentioned a couple of those guys at the guard position that you think uh, the the Bucks might try and target, but I think it goes equally both ways. And by the way, let me just say, as far as Goran Dragic goes, I'll believe it when I see it because I, I saw that guy <laughs> last year. So I, I trust you, but I need to see him actually have a poor game against the Bucks before I believe it's possible. As far as the the Bucks guard defenders. And this is this is where it's really interesting because the addition of PJ Tucker, I, I think for the most part, we've seen that as a as a way that the Bucks can play uh, Tucker at the five and go small. But right. we've also seen against the Heat that Brook Lopez, and even if you go back to last year's series, he's been able to be a factor. And now they're actually using him within the perimeter more so than than out behind the three point line. And they've been able to take advantage of Miami at times again when they've been caught up on switches with it's Duncan Robinson or one of the smaller players. So. I think with Brook Lopez out there, you might actually see lineups with Tucker, uh, Giannis, Brook Lopez, Chris Middleton, and then Drew Holiday. So, I mean, that, that's a that's a pretty scary defensive lineup, and you really don't care who's guarding who. I think they feel comfortable with everyone out there. Brook Lopez, clearly, the Heat are going to try and get him onto a smaller guard. But, yeah, I, I think from the res- reserve perspective, you're going to see Pat Connaughton's going to be out there. You're going to see P.J. Tucker out there. And the defensive concerns that the Bucks have, similar to the guys you mentioned for Miami, are Bryn Forbes and also yeah. uh, Bobby Portis when he plays at the five. They're, they're question marks. They've been fantastic offensively. We, for, as far as Milwaukee's concerned, they needed that extra bench punch from a scoring perspective. But until you see it in the playoffs across the seven-game series against a coach like Eric Spolscher, who is going to take advantage of every single thing that he can, uh, it's, it's a question mark. You know, you, you bring up so many of, of Milwaukee's great bench players, and then I'm listening to that list, and Miami just doesn't have the personnel to match them. It's, I think one of the big issues for the team this year is obviously they had to make some trades in order to acquire Oladipo. They, they moved on from Avery Bradley, who wasn't much of a factor, but Kelly Onidic, and, you know, obviously Myers Leonard got traded. So they're counting really heavily on Dwayne Dedman. Even as I'm thinking about what Miami can provide off the bench, they don't have many other options. Andre Iguodala is the only other guy, aside from Hero and Dragic, who figures to get any kind of playing time aside from Dedman. So they don't have the kind of depth that they did last year. They don't have any other options. They're going to be relying more heavily on the starting unit, Jimmy, Bam, et cetera, to, to come up big there. But I'm kind of curious now that we're, we're getting into mix-up matchups rather and, and different lineups. The Drew Holiday factor, I think, is what has Heat fans – most concerned because obviously, you know, he's going to be a guy who can limit, you know, he can switch on to a Jimmy for a, a little bit of time. He can cover a guy like Bam on occasion if necessary. 
what's your overall view of how he starts defending? I mean, obviously, you just kind of spoke about the switchability there, but will he start off on Jimmy? Because I feel like that might not necessarily be the best matchup, although he can handle it uh, for a few you know possessions at a time. But overall, I wouldn't see that being ideal for Milwaukee. Yeah, I actually do think that Drew Holiday will play on Jimmy Butler. I think physically it's not going to be a problem. I mean, watching this guy night in, night out this year, it's been... I mean, everyone appreciates how strong he is pound for pound and the size that he has, but seeing him legitimately when guys like Joel Embiid, for instance, get Drew Holiday in the post and they bang him a couple of times and then go, you know, shit, I'm not really moving this guy as much as I thought I should. It's it's really, truly incredible. So I think that you will see Drew Holiday spend a fair bit of time on Jimmy Butler because... History tells us over the last five, ten matchups against the Heat, Bud likes to play Chris Middleton on Duncan Robinson, and he has done a, a pretty good job chasing him around the perimeter. So I think you'll see Middleton on Robinson, Holiday on Butler. They will try to keep Giannis as that free roamer. That's what he does so well uh, with those help blocks. And then, you know, Brooke Lopez, PJ Tucker, whoever it is out there as well. So I think you will see Drew on Jimmy. It's interesting, last year, one of the big complaints I think that Bucks fans had was the fact that the guy that was probably best suited to defend Jimmy Butler was Wesley Matthews. And he he didn't play in the fourth quarter because Bud was concerned that with Eric Bledsoe playing the point guard, with Wesley Matthews out there standing behind the three-point arc and Brooke Lopez, it was too easy for Miami to defend the Bucs in the half court and they just couldn't generate any type of scoring. Giannis was going up against four guys every single time he tried to get into the paint. So I think this year, that's at least something that for Milwaukee, you have to feel good about because if you leave Drew Holiday... He's going to hurt you. If you leave Chris Milton, he's going to hurt you. And they just have more versatility offensively, which is which is why I think that the the addition of Drew Holiday is arguably the most significant factor in this series compared to last year. Yeah, fantastic points there. I, I agree 100% there. Um, my only, I guess, counter to that would be Given that Jimmy averaged 11 free throw attempts per game mm-hmm. last year, uh, I don't know he can easily duplicate that, but he's going to try to get Drew in foul trouble. Is that something that Bud could afford to do to keep you know, him on to? I Obviously, as you said, there, there are multiple switchable players in that starting lineup. But if you start off Holiday on him and he gets him into foul trouble early on, doesn't that kind of change the calculus a little bit for what Budenholzer can do with his bench? Yeah, 100%. But I've always thought that that's a big reason why the Bucks won't put Giannis on Jimmy right from the outset. Because if you sure. lose, if you do lose him, then you're in big trouble. So, I, you know, the, the whole discussion around why doesn't Giannis defend Jimmy? Why doesn't he defend this player? To me, it's like, well, he can in the fourth quarter. But during right. the first half, they're going to try and avoid that for the reasons exactly that you pointed out there. So definitely, I mean, if Drew Holiday gets in, tro- in foul trouble, that's going to hurt the Bucks big time, particularly in the first quarter. But at some point, you just have to trust the guy and, and say, okay, don't get in foul trouble. And, and that's that's part of the challenge when you get to the postseason and you're playing these guys that, and especially someone like Jimmy, we know how intense he's going to be. I mean, you spoke about the, what you see as a, as, as a talent differential between these two teams from last year to this year. Jimmy Butler doesn't give a crap about that. He thinks that they're going to sweep the Bucks. We all know that. He's definitely probably very excited about this matchup and playing Milwaukee again because as much as it is physical, it's going to be mental for this series for Milwaukee to get over the hump. So, yeah, I mean, it, it would be something to be concerned about. But again, I think that this year at least, I see three or four guys on the Bucks that they can put on Jimmy if he's really starting to cause problems. Last year, there was probably only one, and he rarely played. 
are you concerned at all? Because I feel like that's another one of the narratives that Heat fans are kind of attaching themselves to. But are you have you given it any thought as far as far as Jimmy not having played in the three regular season matchups? I mean, obviously Drew spoke about it. I think Bud spoke about it as well. Like they, they have enough of a book on what Jimmy can do uh, that they're not exactly concerned about him in- implementing some new wrinkle into Miami's offense or anything like that. Like they're fully aware of what, what Jimmy's capable of. Have you given it any thought as to the fact that, you know, they haven't played them during the regular season and maybe all of a sudden Miami can do something differently once the, the playoffs start? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the biggest concerns for the Bucs is, is Spolstra versus Budenholzer because we're, sure. we've, seen, we've seen all season long that uh, Bud, uh, I give him a lot of credit. He has surprised me with the, the how versatile he's been willing to be and the adjustments he's been willing to make. Uh, he, it's been quite remarkable. I think it's also come through pressure because he knows if the Bucks don't have a long run this, this season, his job is probably in, in danger. But I think that that has to be a concern that you haven't seen Butler all season long. But at the same time, I haven't looked at any of these games against Miami and thought to myself, wow, the Bucks beat the Heat. They're in good stead for a series. Because again, if you don't, it's like if, the, if Miami beat the Bucks without Giannis. I mean, it's like, what does it actually matter? It doesn't mean anything. Everything is going to change when you play. So I don't, like when I look at this series and if I, if I put last year out of the mind, I kind of agree with you that when you look at the depth of talent and you look at the teams, it's hard not to come to the conclusion that the Bucks should win the series. But as we know, with the playoffs, there's so many different factors that go into this. And, and that's why I think game one is, is just huge in this series. Because if the Bucks lose game one at home, you know what the narrative is going to be. And they yeah. can talk about pressure all they want. And we got a chance to speak to Giannis today. And he said that he wants the pressure because it means that you're a good team. If they lose game one to Miami, that is going to be as big a challenge as they could possibly face to, to come back to win games on the road against a team that, that you know, quite clearly had their number last year. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad you brought up pressure because I've been making a point of that as well. Like I, a lot of people, I think, kind of feel that, that Milwaukee has more pressure on them, and I agree, so I'm curious to get your take on it because I feel like you mentioned Budenholzer. Obviously, I think some people are talking about him possibly coaching for his his career here at this point uh, that he has not you know shown the, the ability to adapt frequently and now this is kind of a, his last chance to really prove it if somehow they lose to the heat uh, his job's probably in jeopardy but as far as the team itself also like I mean look I know Giannis kind of spoke about what's changed and everybody kind of wants to talk about uh, whether or not he's going to have a different approach or anything like that but do you see this team being able to deal with that kind of a pressure? I mean, just not from a media perspective. Obviously, we'll all talk about the narratives, but will they say if they lose game one, will they be able to find a way to bounce back? Well, we've been speaking all episode long, David, about how tight we think this series is going to be, but you can find out all the odds and props at betonline.ag, which is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action with MLB, NBA, NHL, UFC, MMA, there's endless sports on Bet Online that you can get involved in the fun with. So before the next pitch, head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore, as this is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their runs to the playoffs. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with the promo code locked on. That's Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. I think it's the big unknown because we've seen all year long and it's been very, very noticeable with this Bucks team that they've had a different attitude when it comes to regular season games and just losing in general. And Giannis has, has really led that. 
because we've seen in years gone by, and we know the Bucks have been dominant in the regular season, but when they've lost games during the regular season, he has been pissed. Like he has been visibly annoyed anytime they lose games. This year, he clearly came in with the attitude that, well, we've been the number one seed. And what does it ultimately mean if you can't go on, on with a job in the postseason? And so there's been times where they've lost games, but they've tried different things and there's been different positives. And he's been like, well, you know, he's like, ultimately, it's, it's February. What does it matter if we lose this game? Yeah, talk to me when it comes to the postseason. And that's all well and good to have that attitude and be carefree and be relaxed. But once you get to the postseason, I, I think things change a little bit. And if you find yourself sure. under pressure, it's like, okay, now are you still carefree? Now are you still relaxed? Now do you just still trust the system that you're going to be able to come back? So I think it's a question mark. I think from the overall narrative of of the national media and we spoke about this on a show earlier in the week that there is some idea that i'm hearing that the bucks come into the postseason with less pressure because they're not expected to win the title this year as they were in previous years but i completely disagree because the individual pressure on Giannis to perform and to carry this team to a deep playoff run is huge and and like i said the coach is is there trying to hold on to his job so i i dispute the fact that the bucks aren't under pressure here i i because let, let's think about this if, if miami win this series they are they go some ways to validating the run that they had last year but for the bucks it's it's complete disaster yeah. if the bucks lose this series then it, it's going to change the franchise and the way they look at things moving forward so i, I think that there's only out of these two teams i think there's only one of them that kid that this can end in complete disaster for and, and that comes with pressure is there any friction between Giannis and Bud? I've seen kind of rumblings about that, but I, I think you'd probably be able to speak to it a lot better than I could. Have you heard anything about that? Or have you seen any kind of evidence there that there's any kind of friction between those two? This is literally the first time I've heard that. Yeah, I... I really? Yeah, I okay. haven't seen that. I haven't heard that. haven't got the sense that that was the case at all, to be honest. I, I didn't even know what that would be about, actually. Um, <laughs> I, I, yeah, Giannis has always been a guy that's been publicly very trusting of his coaches. And if you go back to last year, uh, that situation where one of the reporters asked whether he wanted to play on Jimmy or wanted to defend right. Jimmy. And he said, I would I never. What my coach tells me. Yeah. Exactly. But coming into this season, it was a little bit different where Bud admitted and Giannis admitted that they had conversations and Giannis told him, I want to play more. I need to play more minutes this year. I need to be prepared for the postseason better. We need to be doing different things. We need to be trying different things. But I think overall, the addition of Drew Holiday has been big for an attitude change. And then towards the back end of the season, the addition of PJ Tucker as well. Because all of a sudden, the Bucks last year and in years gone by, terrific team, get along really well. But they did seem like a team that was willing to just go along with, with whatever they're told to do. But now you add Drew Holiday... And you had a PJ Tucker, two guys that aren't going to take any bullshit. And they're not going to be afraid to stand up and speak and say, I think we should be doing this. So I think overall, those two guys have probably been good for Giannis. What's the, what's the biggest change in Giannis this season? Because I think everybody has kind of spoken about the fact that he's playing a little bit differently off ball, that he's setting screens and things of that sort, that they're using him differently. They're not necessarily just forcing him downhill the way he did for most of last year's offense. Uh, you know, what's, what are the other changes in the way Giannis has been used this year that's made him, in my opinion, even more effective this season than he was last? Yeah, I think you could easily make the case that this has been the best season out of his last three. But, you know, we know, again, in terms of MVP and those sorts of things, once you win two in a row, it comes down to certainly other factors. But I think the biggest challenge for him has been playing alongside not only Chris Milton, who he knows really well, but Drew Holiday. Because now all of a sudden you have three guys. And, and we know. I mean, we all watch that series and we've all watched the Bucks in the postseason the last few years when the moment was at its uh, brightest or biggest. 
uh, Eric Bledsoe shrunk away and, and he didn't want the ball. And now you have Drew Holiday who legitimately wants to have the ball in his hands. He wants to create. So I just think that for Giannis, particularly early in the season when he wasn't at his best over the first month or so, it was that adjustment of understanding that he can be really, really dangerous and in some cases more dangerous when he doesn't have the ball in his hands. So I, I think being able to get to different spots on the floor, get catches in areas where he puts the defense under even more pressure than he ever has before. I think the introduction of um, the little mid-range game and post-ups, I, I think has been significant as well. So I, I think overall, just adding another guy that can create and get his own shot in Drew Holiday has forced Giannis to, again, as we've seen basically every season of his career, become more versatile offensively. And, and I think it was, it was needed. They, they really needed that. They can't just give the ball to the Giannis at the top of this series and say, run through Jimmy Bam. It, it's not going to work. Um, this is a question that came in from one of my listeners, and I was wondering if you wouldn't mind answering it. Do you think that the efficient shooting the Bucks have needed both times they beat Miami this season is something that they can rely on in the playoffs? He doesn't feel confident that that's something that Milwaukee can do. I'm not so sure. I mean, they've been pretty good all season long, but what's your feeling on how, how important their shooting has to be in a series like this against Miami? Yeah, I mean, I think it works both ways. I mean, if we go back to last year's, playoff series you get 44 percent from jay crowder 46 percent from jimmy butler from three i mean in a small sample size teams can get hot for the box I, I again we've spoken about what you take away from wins and that game early in the season yes there was no jimmy butler but the bucks hit 29 threes okay uh, I, I don't think that you can rely on hitting a world record amount of threes in a game to win a playoff series so hard yeah, to duplicate <laughs> yeah exactly hard to duplicate so i agree with your listener there i, I think the bucks are going to have to find ways to score within the perimeter they can't just rely on outside shooting but uh, doubly to that point last year the bucks were 29 percent on wide open threes against miami so i think that they should expect and, well, they'll, they'll need to. They'll need to shoot better than that. But that's where, you know, in addition of Bryn Forbes, Pat Connaughton shot the ball really well this year. Again, Drew Holiday, I keep bringing him up, but he's been around 40% this year. So they went out of their way to get better shooting. Do I expect them again to hit 29 threes? No. But the, the bar is pretty low from where it was last season. So, again, I don't know whether you take anything from these three regular season games. It's, it just feels easier to compare what went wrong last year and where the improvement is this year. And I, I think even average shooting from three is going to be a significant increase from last year. Yeah, good point. Um, how, how big of a factor do you think Ariza is now? Uh, obviously, Miami got some incredible shooting from Jay Crowder. And I, I mean, I've talked about that before. I don't think we can expect that level of shooting from Trevor at this point in his career. I mean, he, he still occasionally stretches the floor, but actually over the last few weeks, he's looked most effective when he's looking to get to the basket because Miami's offense can on occasion look a little stagnant. And so he's been pretty effective in using his length to get to the rim or at least just try to create something at the rim rather than relying on an outside shot that hasn't been falling. But given that Jay Crowder won't be there shooting 45% for Miami, are you concerned about Trevor Ariza having any kind of similar impact? A little bit, because uh, I think if you look at the matchups across the board, it's probably going to wind up with Giannis defending Trevor Ariza or being the nominal defender on Trevor Ariza for that reason that I mentioned earlier, that they like to use him as a help defender. He picks up those big um, blocks. But if you were going to knock Giannis in any way defensively, he gets a little ball happy and he will sag off his guy on repeat. He does it all the time because he is trying to be that help guy, often in situations where he really doesn't need to be. You, you, right. can, tr you can trust some of the other defenders on the team. 
So what they could end up with is Trevor Reza shooting a lot of open threes. So could he get hot and hit six threes in the game that the Heat win? Absolutely. That's something that I think if you're a Bucks fan, you would be a little bit concerned about um, with Trevor Reza there. Because yeah, regardless of, of how well he shot the ball, if he's shooting wide open threes, he's a guy that you can trust that should be able to knock them down. Yeah, it's just it's interesting there. I'm not sure what to expect from Ariza again. I mean, it just feels like this is probably pretty indicative of what Miami season's been like is that they're relying on these older veterans that have come in in the middle of the season to be major contributors. And that's not mm-hmm. the same as relying on a guy like Crowder or Iguodala. I mean, they were they fit in seamlessly and while Ariza's made some impact it's not as sustainable, I think, as Crowder's hot shooting was. And, and Deadman's provided some nice size and rebounding, but he's still kind of getting into shape. And I just don't know that he's going to play a big role off the bench either. So I, I, if he's guarding Bobby Portis as a backup there, I don't right. like that matchup for Miami either. I mean, Portis is going to stretch the floor. Obviously, his shooting has been phenomenal this season. Getting Deadman away from the paint is exactly taking him out of his comfort zone there. So he can't provide the one thing that he has, which is rebounding for a team that does not rebound very well. So obviously, Brooke Lopez will dominate the boards for a team like Miami. They're going to need so much of a, a kind of gang mentality when it comes to the rebounding edge because they'll probably lose the rebounding yet battle pretty easily against Milwaukee. And I could see that definitely swaying a few games in Milwaukee's favor. Yeah, my guess is, uh, my my hot take for this series is that I don't think Miami... And it's kind of fascinating because last year, the offensive boards, I did feel like Miami came up with all the, the offensive boards at the, the most dangerous of times that resulted in a ton of wide yeah, open Momentum threes. shifting rebounds. Yeah, it was, it, oh. was, it was weird. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, and I, 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 it felt like it was Crowder every time as well. I mean, I'm telling you, Bucks fans are still having nightmares about that guy. But I, I don't think in this series... Coupled with the fact that you've spoke about where their defense has been over the last month when they've been playing well, I'm not sure if this is a series that Miami can afford to to crash those offensive boards too hard because um, I think that defensively they're really going to want to get back and stop Giannis in transition again. That's not a hot take, but I, I just think with with some of the personnel changes you mentioned, I personally don't believe that Deadman's going to be all that playable in this series. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see how that plays out. But overall, I mean, yeah, I mean Dragic, uh, Iguodala. And, uh, and also Ariza there. I mean, there's three guys that are going to have to play significant roles and they're in their mid-30s. I mean, this is, this is a question mark. I think it's a, it's a fair question to have about this Heat team. Any, uh, any thoughts on Tyler Hero? I mean, I think a lot of Milwaukee bands, uh, fans expect him to be like this hot shooting yeah. you know, guy off the bench. And he obviously had a pretty good series against them last year. But I, I just don't think he's... He hasn't taken the same leap a, a, a lot of people expect him to be, myself included. I thought he was going to be able to be a m- more consistent. But given the difficulties of the last calendar year, the fact that he did have COVID at one point, that he missed so much of last season with the hiatus and everything else, and then he was able to incorporate more things into his game before the bubble started in, in July. But he hasn't had much of an offseason given the fact that the Miami was able to go all the way to the final. So that kind of transition hasn't worked out for him. He's kind of found some shooting form of late, again, just like Goron. Again, a big part of why Miami's offense is thriving lately. But I just I look at this team, and one, the biggest question mark for me is how sustainable anything we've seen over the last few weeks is, especially against a team as good as Milwaukee. I know that they give up a lot of threes. I just don't know that Miami's going to be able to capitalize on those open opportunities. Yeah, I mean, they're going to get them. I mean, we know the one thing that Spolstra is going to do is he's going to, he's going to run endless screen action with this Bucks team. And there's been miscommunications through the year with the Bucks as they've learned to switch. Seems like a funny thing to say, but as they've learned to switch on defense, there's been miscommunication. So they're certainly in a better spot now than they were earlier in the season. But with a guy like Tyler Hero, 
it, I don't really care like what he did during the regular season because well, the one thing we know about him, and maybe it was a little bit different last year because there was no fans, so maybe you can question the the playoff atmosphere or the playoff pressure for sure. But he's a guy that seems to like taking big shots and like big moments in the game. So, uh, it, yeah, I mean, he, he has to be someone that you worry about. There's a bunch of shooters on this Miami team that you'd be concerned about. But for sure, when, when we've had fans and listeners um, you know, reaching out to us with questions, Tyler Hero has been a big theme of those because he is a guy that, as we saw in the biggest moments last year, was able to put up some pretty big performances. You mentioned Duncan is your X factor uh, on my side of it. I, I feel like a guy like DiVincenzo, um, maybe even some PJ Tucker or Bryn Forum, somebody that just is going to wind up being, you know, having the ball in his hands uh, as the shot clock winds down because uh, Miami does force teams to, to that third or fourth shooter down the stretch there. And I feel like that's where they get those open looks there because Miami's defense is just constantly moving, constantly switching, and that leaves for a weak spot to form at some point in the defensive rotations. And then, of course, they wind up giving up. Uh, you know, They have on, on many occasions during the, this regular season, they've given up career highs on lots of occasions to bit role players. And so I feel like that's going to be a great opportunity. I've heard some Bucks people tell me I wouldn't count on that too much, but I'm curious, what's your feeling on – a guy like DiVincenzo having a big game or somebody along those lines just kind of finding those opportunities as Miami's defense tends to break down. Yeah, DiVincenzo has become much maligned among Bucks fans and to me, pretty unfairly. And it, and it really all stems from the fact that he was a part of that Bogdanovich trade at the start of the season. So it's been right. very easy for fans to compare you know, Bogdanovich to DiVincenzo and be frustrated with the fact that he's not playing at that level, to which I always respond, that's not really a fair comparison. I mean, the Bucks were literally willing to trade him for that player. Clearly, he's not as good as Bogdanovich. Like, that's a, that's a ridiculous comparison to make. But we have seen him late in the season really break out of a shooting slump and shoot it quite well. So you mentioned Forbes as well. So with DiVincenzo and Forbes, you have two guys. Forbes is clearly a better shooter or more consistent shooter than DiVincenzo. But you have two guys that over the course of a playoff series, and there's always these players for each team. Everyone has them. But you, where you sit back and say, yeah, they could be a, a guy that could hit six threes in a game. And that's the game that you have to win. You can't waste that opportunity when it arises. So the difference with DiVincenzo is that he does a little bit more than Forbes in terms of he can pass the ball a little bit. He is going to be disruptive on the defensive end. And if he has a game where he picks up those steals or deflections that generally result in transition buckets for the Bucks, that's where momentum changes, particularly if you're at home. Again, we've spoke about more fans being in attendance. So yeah, I, I think DiVincenzo is a fair X factor because he is the type of guy that he might be awful for two games. And then in game three or game four, he can, he can have 20 points, pick up a few um, critical steals there as well and, and be impactful. So, and he's also great on the glass. Huge, huge rebounding numbers for a guard as well. So that's, that's not a bad call there. Although, uh, again, consistency, not his forte at the moment. So what's your, what's your concern with Duncan? I mean, obviously, uh, he's a hell of a shooter, but he's it's not necessarily struggled, but he's had some different you know moments throughout the, the season where he hasn't been as effective as he has. Uh, I think... There were a lot of trade rumors that were impacting him, and he was just—he just wasn't comfortable. And then once the trade deadline passed, he all of a sudden had this incredible uptick in his shooting. So, not a coincidence, in my opinion. Uh, wh why do you see him being the potential X factor for the Heat? Well, I think that he presents problems for the Bucks in multiple ways. So, first of all, we know that he's going to be put in a lot of screen action, and he's going to get wide open threes. So, for a lot of the time, you are going to find yourself, if you're a Bucks fan, hoping that he just misses because he's so good, he's so active. I actually, when I watch Miami, I enjoy literally just watching Duncan Robertson in the half court and the way he moves, how much energy he has, how he's constantly moving. 
And that's kind of a double problem for the Bucks because like I said, they like to put Chris Middleton on him. So Middleton is actually using a hell of a lot of energy on the defensive end. Now, he was pretty big in last year's series against the Heat. He had 25 points, obviously had that big game in, in game four when Giannis wasn't there, the, game, the only game the Bucks won. But it, it, it's a challenge. It's a challenge when you're putting one of your most important offensive players on a guy like Robinson where you know he's going to be expending serious energy. So I just think that he presents a unique challenge that you don't see with a lot of guys across the league. And with the Bucs, um, uh, struggles defending the three-point line. Um, he's, he's always going to be the ultimate threat. And coming into last series against the Bucks last year, I would have said the same thing. So it was kind of a shock that how well you guys played. And he only averaged nine points uh, per game there and only 35% from three, which clearly I think... This year, if the Heat are going to win, you'll probably see uh, better numbers than that. Yeah, I think he'll he'll wind up getting. Well, he, I think he only wound up playing like less than twenty minutes per game or something like that. So mm-hmm. it wasn't he was played off the floor a lot. I, I yeah. can't expect that being the case. And look, he's you don't be surprised if you have not seen him regularly during the regular season. He's improved as a defender. I think he's mm-hmm. looking to to move more off ball and cut to the hoop. So you'll see him uh, incorporating a lot more off ball actions if he doesn't get that first. Uh, open look from from behind the perimeter. If they'll rescreen or he'll find a way to just lose his defender as he cuts to the hoop. So there'll be moments there where he'll find seams of the defense and he's much more adept at exploiting those. So that's certainly an advantage for the Heat, at least uh, if he does not have a good shooting game. But even so, you know that Duncan's just kind of try to find his way to shoot his way out of it. So are, are there? I'm kind. Of, I want to kind of change a little bit. I don't know how you. I try to remember now. Do you feel comfortable making predictions or not? I can't recall what we did last year. Uh, we both made predictions. I remember. I didn't even have to go back and listen. I remember specifically what the predictions were. And I can tell you, if anyone is crazy enough to remember what I said, I'm, I'm going with it again. Uh, I don't know if you remember, but do you want to... How are you feeling? You go first with the predictions. Well, I, I kind of wanted to start off with just talking about the intangibles because we talked a little <laughs> bit about the pressure. And one of the things that I guess I can't get past, one, Miami's magical run last year and Jimmy's yeah. performances throughout every series just made me a believer and I just, I cannot discount everything they do. Like on paper, Milwaukee looks better, but you could have made that argument last year too. Uh, And I feel like given that Jimmy Butler is on the team, he's going to find a way to change the outcome of of almost every game. And if not by, you know, him dominating, he'll find the guy who can dominate on a night to night basis and try to get them going. He's one of the few players I feel alongside LeBron James can afford to be a little passive as he kind of reads the flow of the game and then all of a sudden turn it on. Uh, he's obviously not as dominant or impactful as LeBron is, but he has his moments. We saw that in the NBA finals and as good as Giannis is, and certainly he's deserving all the praise and, and, and flowers he gets, but I feel like Jimmy can just take over a game. And given that, I just like Miami's edges where they are, the intangibles factor, uh, the pressure that's on Milwaukee, which I think is a lot more substantial than most people are talking about. This Volstra advantage there because I think that's pretty clear too. I like Miami in six. I kind of part part of it is just that I, I kind of just I said Heat in six throughout every series last year, yeah. so I'm going to kind of stick to that. Uh, but I, I think they have a, a good chance of winning. I, I could actually see them taking one of the first two games winning the next two at home, and then coming back on game six in Miami and closing out the series. The Heat is such a challenging team because the one thing you know, I, I think in most series, and this is kind of ironic for me to say this, given the fact that the Bucs were 2-0 up uh, against Toronto and still lost the series. But I think there are a lot of teams, particularly in the first round, where if you do go 2-0 up, 
you can kind of break them a little bit. And if you, if you get off to a decent start in game three, then you can kind of end the series right there. Miami just aren't one of those teams. I mean, you can literally be 3-1 up in the series and you know that in game five, it's going to be a battle. So I, I think that in terms of, for the Bucks, if they have any hopes or any intentions of making a deep playoff run and challenging any of these other teams moving forward, then I think actually having this challenge and playing a team against Miami, a team like Miami could be beneficial for them. But as I pointed to, game one is just huge. It's huge. And I, and I think it's, it's kind of hard to predict how these teams are going to come out because having a week off is very strange. I mean, we see it occasionally in a, in a postseason if you sweep a team and you're waiting for the other team to, to come through. But we see time and time again that when teams have extended breaks, they can come out pretty rusty and they don't shoot the ball well. So I, I think it's a big variable this game one in what looms to me as a critical, critical game for the Bucks in terms of their mental psyche for this one. I think if they get through game one, they will be in good stead. Uh, last year, I said Bucks in six as well. It's kind of the default uh, you know, sort of prediction for a series when you think it's going to be pretty tight. Right. I agree with a lot of what you've said in terms of the individual talent, that this is a series on paper that the Bucks look like they should win. But we both know there's far more uh, that's going to play into this series. So again, the start for the Bucks will be absolutely critical. I think that they're going to be up for the challenge. If you remember back a couple of years earlier, they were, or they lost in seven games to the Boston Celtics. Uh, they came out, they actually lost game one in that series against Boston, which funnily enough, after they had an extended break and it was an afternoon game. So there's some parallels there, but then they went through and won that series in five. And I thought mentally for them at that time, that was a huge series for them to win. I think they're going to have to do the same here. Uh, give me Bucks in six. But as I've said right throughout the week on, on Locked on Bucks, uh, this is far from a series that I would be shocked or surprised or really taken aback if this was a seven-game series or indeed if, if Miami were, were able to pull it through. They're just one of those wildcard teams that you, you don't know what you're going to get, but they're going to play hard. Yeah. I, I, would, I would almost say that Miami will start off game one really hot like they, that's just how they've been all season long they, they have these incredible offensive explosions in the first quarter and and somebody will have a dialed up jimmy will just be again kind of reading the game a little bit looking to be aggressive when he has to and just finding the right guys but miami can blow those leads they've done it a lot over the course of the regular season and so if milwaukee has a chance if they're going to have to you know prove something if they want to have that psyche tested they'll be tested almost immediately in game one and seeing how they'll respond in that game whether or not buds starts to make those adjustments that we all start to question whether or not he's capable of. And I think that's, it's going to be a huge game. I I completely agree with you that the winner of game one most likely wins the series. I I just, that's just the way it feels, right? Like you have to get whatever edge is possible for Miami. If you can punch Milwaukee metaphorically in the mouth, that's your best advantage there because then from that point forward, you're just kind of doing enough. And Miami has shown the capacity to be able to just get past opponents. Now, they have not been as good in fourth quarters as they were last year. That was a big part of why Miami had so much success in the regular season was just, they found a way to come back. And even in the playoffs, you know, obviously Milwaukee squandered a few leads over the heat too. So I feel like they just haven't been as good. I wonder whether or not we'll start to see an uptick there, whether or not Jimmy starts to regain some of that form, whether or not we see a big night from Tyler Hero or Goran Drag or somebody else. It's going to be a fascinating series. So many different stories, so many different matchups, styles of play, so many different things being – kind of just connected there from coaching and everything else, just the two branches. And of course, as we keep hitting at the fact that there's actual travel involved, that Miami will be traveling to Milwaukee and vice versa. It's going to be great. Yeah. If we take off 
the Locked On Bucks hat and the Locked On Heat hat, this is by far the most intriguing first round series that's going to be out there. And and yeah, I know there'll be some other series that'll be worth watching. But to me, just with all the storylines last year and everything that's been spoken about all season long, this this is this is going to be really entertaining stuff. Uh, 2 p.m. Saturday, game one in Milwaukee at Fiserv Forum. For those that are wondering, uh, that maybe don't listen to this show or Locked on Bucks every single day. Uh, yes, that's that's 4 a.m. for me on Sunday morning. So I, I don't know what it is with the league and putting the Bucks in all these day games. Game four is also a day game. So very, very disappointing from my perspective over here. But I'll be up. I'll be watching. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. I'm really excited. This week has, has been a long one. I've been waiting for the postseason really all year long. Even though it was a shortened regular season, it felt like a grind. It felt like a lot of it was kind of meaningless in terms of the takeaways. So um, I, I don't know about you, but I'm just eager to get it started and to find out what's real and, and what's been a smokescreen. Yeah, absolutely. I feel 100% the same way. Like so much of the regular season has been impacted in one way or another, and it's just hard to really take anything. And sure, there have been incredible moments for not just these teams, but all 30 teams at one point. Or well, maybe maybe not the Pistons. But overall, I think there have been some really great moments there. You've really seen some nice things here and there. But it's just you kind of want to just see how these teams respond, whether or not we start to see the shortened offseason play a role against some of these teams that went deeper into the playoffs, whether or not there'll be an injury that could change the whole situation. And, and even more so, I mean, the, the possibility of COVID, you know, taking a player out for a prolonged <laughs> period of time that could totally change a series. It, it, it's terrible to even talk about that, but it is a factor that we all have to consider. Yeah, absolutely. No doubt about that. We saw that most recently with Karis Levert uh, with the Pacers, but that's David Rommel. You should check him out on Locked on Heat. And of course, I'm Kane Pittman, if you are familiar with me from Locked on Bucks. So, David, uh, we said last year that there is a chance that we were going to do a mid-series podcast. And then, let's be honest, it was over so quickly that there was literally no point in us doing this. But who knows? We might catch up in a week or so if this series is heading uh, in a contested direction that I think a lot of people will be hoping it does. Yeah, uh, same here. Uh, hopefully, we'll have a chance to catch up sometime, maybe mid-series, if it does wind up going longer. If Miami or Milwaukee jumps out to a 3-0 lead, then we'll probably wind up talking next series, uh, next season when next the two year, teams yeah, exactly. match up again. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everyone, for joining us on this crossover pod. That was a fun one. It's always uh, good to catch up with the, the other hosts on the Locked On Podcast Network. So make sure you follow, subscribe, and share Locked On Bucks and Locked On Heats and uh, catch up with the show throughout what is surely going to be a very entertaining series. So uh, for everyone out there, stay safe. Enjoy Saturday. Enjoy game one. And uh, we'll catch you guys next time.